I'd like to welcome all of you again to worship today, especially those of you in the contemporary service or those of you joining us online. Today we're starting a new sermon series for the next three weeks called Love Like Crazy. With Valentine's Day coming up on Friday and love being in the air, we thought this was a great opportunity to look at what the scriptures teach us about what it means to love one another. As we get started this morning, I have an honest confession to make to you. It's that Valentine's Day is not my favorite holiday. I don't love it, and honestly, sometimes I can be a little cynical about it. Sometimes I think that it's just a holiday that we've created a month and a half after Christmas to idealize a form of romantic love and get us to buy things for each other again. But I'm not that cynical, and, you know, it's a great chance to show love to one another and value each other. And so you can spin it the other direction and use it as an opportunity to love. But one of the other reasons why I don't like Valentine's Day is it tends to leave my single friends feeling left out and even more lonely. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't love this holiday. But more than any other reason I, I don't love this holiday is that my wife doesn't love this holiday, so I get to not love this holiday. Actually, 11 years ago, I proposed to my wife on this weekend because I knew if I proposed to her on Valentine's Day weekend, a week later, it would hurt my chances of her saying yes. And so I created a memorable moment that was a way for me to show my love to her. And we were college students at the College of William & Mary, and I surprised her by taking her to a special spot on campus which is the oldest building on campus. Our, our college was founded in 1693. And so we went into this room called the Wren Chapel, which is the oldest building on that college's campus. And I brought a picture of the Wren Chapel to show you this morning to see where I proposed to my wife 11 years ago. And she, she did say yes, by the way, which was very exciting. So I proposed to her here at the College of William Mary in Virginia. And it was a really exciting moment. And I had some things set up in that room to help her feel special and valued by me and to show her my love. And the one thing that I didn't factor in was what to do after she said yes. I had, you know, set up a car to take us to dinner and we were going to celebrate. But from the moment where she said yes and the moment we got to the car to go to dinner to celebrate, I hadn't really thought that part through. So after I proposed... And she said, yes, I had this big goony look on my face and I was so excited. And I just said, well, we just need to grab these things and get in the car and go to dinner. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So I went to grab some of the candles that I had set up and I didn't realize that or think through that when you pick up candles that were just lighted, that they would spill wax all over the floor. And so now we are in that room on our knees in our dress clothes, scraping wax off of a, floor that's been around since 1693 that I had to call in a personal favor to one of the deans on campus to be able to use that room. And I felt so embarrassed and we were laughing about it. And we have a great story to be able to share from that day. But it also taught me a really important lesson that sometimes we can focus on the big romantic memorable moments and forget the in-between times. As we've been married in these 11 years, I've come to realize that the in-between times are just as important as the big moments. And while the big romantic moments are important and a way to share love together, it's in the times in between, when we're running from thing to thing every day, where we're tired and when there's difficulties and messes that are made, and when we disappoint each other, and when people let us down, 
when we're working with our coworkers that are frustrating or when there's just struggles that we're going through in a season of life. These are the in-between times where we have to learn how to love one another in these daily realities. And it's here in the in-between times where love is most important and where love, a life of love, can either be made or broken. And the good news is, is that God has come to teach us about love in the in-between times. The passage of scripture that we read this morning in 1 Corinthians 13 is a very famous passage. It's poetic and passionate, and you'll often hear it read at, at weddings, or you could probably find it in a Hallmark card this week when you're looking to find Valentine's Day gifts for your friends or family. It's a famous passage of scripture, but it's an original context Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the first century that are struggling to figure out what's most important in Christian community together and what it means to really love each other, especially those that are different than them. It's one of the most beautiful, passionate definitions of love that we find in the scriptures. And he's writing this this passionate exhortation to them about love because they're making things besides love the most important thing. They are not making love the most important thing in their life. And so he opens this passage by addressing some of the other things that they're making more important than love in their life. He starts this way. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, if you notice, none of the things Paul mentions here are bad things. Some of them might seem a little foreign to us today, but these are all really good things. Many of them are teachings or promises from Jesus about what he wants his followers to experience in relationship to God. Speaking in tongues of angels is a gift that some people receive as a way of communing with God personally and intimately in a special language that's only between them and God. The gift of prophecy is the gift of being able to receive and speak truth from God to the Christian community in a way that challenges and builds up the community of faith to live more for God's purposes. Faith that can move mountains is something Jesus taught about that really only comes as small as a mustard seed. To believe God against insurmountable problems are the mountains of our lives. And believing God that God has the ability to do miracles and can do miracles in our lives. Giving all to the poor. Jesus taught that we were to serve and bless and take care of the poor. And he also taught that we're called to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And many of the first Christians were practicing martyrdom for their faith and being persecuted. And these were all really good things, things that Jesus promised or taught his disciples would happen to them. But the problem was people are putting these good gifts from God as more important than loving those who hadn't experienced some of those gifts or loving those that were in a different place in their relationship with God rather than using their experiences to build up and love other believers, they were looking down on and judging and finding reason to separate from other believers rather than love each other. And so Paul is exhorting the Christian community to keep love as the most important thing, the governing principle 
of Christian community together. One of the most famous theologians in Lutheran history is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he has some incredible writings from the time of World War II, and one of his books is a short book called Life Together, and it was written to form the spirituality of young leaders that were in the underground uh, church leadership training program in Nazi Germany. And he said this to them. He's, it's a really simple, short phrase about what's to govern Christian community. He says that the man who loves his vision of Christian community more than the actual Christian community itself is the one who destroys Christian community. He learned from Paul that love is to be the most important thing, that we're called to love each other even when we're in different places or we worship and experience God in different ways. And the gifts that God has given us are meant to serve and build up the body of Christ, not tear it down. And we need to remember that love is the most important thing in Christian community because we have incredible capacity to make other things the most important thing. Especially when you look at the history of religion, Christianity is littered with examples of churches finding reason to split and divide from each other rather than love each other. While we get confused about what's most important, Paul and Jesus are really clear. Paul got this message straight from Jesus because when Jesus was confronted by a group of religious teachers in the first century about what is most important to God, what's the most important command, what's the most important thing, Jesus said really clearly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And you should also love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love is the greatest thing. The whole story of scripture hangs on love. It's most important. And Jesus was really clear. And he wants us to be clear on what's most important because we have an incredible capacity to forget. We make other things more important than our lives, than the love of God and the love of each other. Maybe for you, you have a temptation to make your work more important than love. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's control or, or being right. We all have a tendency to make other things besides love more important. I remember seeing a movie a couple years ago that really played on this dynamic in an interesting way. It's called Bird Year, and it's a, a movie with the actor Owen Wilson and Steve Martin. And Owen Wilson is the best bird watcher in the world. He travels all over the world to watch rare and exotic birds, and he's found the most of them than anyone else. And then Steve Martin challenges him for becoming the best bird watcher. And so the movie is about their quest to become the best bird watcher in the world and their competitions together. And the sad reality of this movie is every time Owen Wilson's character comes home to be with his family, he notices his wife's heart is drifting further and further away from him, and his, his family is becoming more divided and separated. And every time he comes home, he promises to make things right and to be more available and, and, and to be around and to make the family more of a priority. But as the movie goes, you realize he just can't do it. He's on this quest to become the greatest bird watcher, and he's losing the most important things in his life because of that. We all have the capacity to make something else in our life more important than love. When Danielle and I got married, we knew that we have that same capacity, and we found that to be true at different times in our marriage. But on the inside of our wedding rings, we put three Hebrew letters, the letters that are short for what Jesus said is the greatest command. It's known in Hebrew as the Shema, and it, it 
it resounds this idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because we want love to be what guides our lives, and we know we have the capacity to go off in other directions. And not only does Paul and Jesus want us to know that love is the most important thing in life, he also wants us to know the kind of love that's most important. In the first century in Corinth, just like in our world today, the word love was used a lot. It was thrown around a lot, but not often defined with clarity. I challenge you this week as we get ready for Valentine's Day to think about the messages you hear about love in movies and on the radio and in the magazines around you. What does it mean to say, I really love someone? We use the word love a lot, don't we? I mean, I love Chipotle. I love Chipotle. I love the way those chips taste. I don't know how they make those spices taste so good and the way they blend everything together. It just, I just love it. I love basketball. I love playing basketball with friends on Friday morning. I love the camaraderie and the competition, and it's just fun to go out and play. And I love inspiring movies. I just, I love Braveheart. No matter how many times I watch it, it just inspires me every time. And, you know, I'm not sure what you love. Maybe you love Garrison Keillor, or maybe you love going to Florida in the winter about this time. My girls, they, they love Taylor Swift. She just sings something sweet in their soul, and they just can't get enough. We love lots of different things, and when we say we love those things, what we're really saying is I enjoy them. I, they make me feel good. I, I appreciate something about those things that we love. But the reality is that kind of love breaks down really quickly in relationship to other human beings. When we get, start to get close to other human beings, often we don't feel very good. They disappoint us. They let us down. They frustrate us. They annoy us. We have problems and conflicts to work through in relationship with one another. And the reality is that the people that we love the most in this life are the people that we often share the most hurt and frustration with. I love my wife more than any person in this world, but we've also experienced the most hurt together. And that's just the reality of being in a relationship with other sinful, broken people. And in the context of that reality, Paul is writing us to help us know the kind of love that we're called to practice with one another, the kind of love that brings us together and draws us closer to God and each other rather than divides us apart. He's writing to us about a love that matures and grows and deepens as we go through the struggles of life in the in-between times. He says this at the end of the passage. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He's writing so that we'll see the kind of love that is worth keeping as the most important thing in our lives. You can really break this down into two categories, what love is not and what love is. Sometimes it's helpful to see a chart, so I brought a chart to put on the screen. Love is not envious, boastful, proud, does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil. All the things Paul mentions are things we do that put up barriers in relationship to each other, that keep us from growing in love together, boasting and putting ourselves above other people, comparing ourselves to others. 
wishing we had what they had, looking down and dishonoring others for whatever reason, using people for our own purposes, becoming easily angered and irritated, keeping a mental list of what's wrong with other people, is as we get close enough to other human beings, we're bound to see flaws and brokenness and things that are wrong. There's always a reason to give up on someone else. There's always a reason to protect our heart and, and separate and divide from one another. This is natural human way of life. We see it all around us, and we can easily get stuck in this self-centered way of relating to others in our lives. And Paul isn't asking us to overlook or deny the reality of sin or difficulty in our relationships, but he's painting a different picture of what it means to love one another in the in-between times in our lives. He says, this is what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It rejoices in truth or righteousness, God's righteous way of living. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. He's describing to us a love that embraces people patiently where they are, gives up our control of them, encourages and rejoices in truth and honesty, even when honesty is honesty about sin because sin can lead to healing and reconciliation and new life. It's a love that's not defensive, a love that doesn't hide, a love that protects and hopes and perseveres through the hard, difficult times of our lives, a love that's patient and kind, a love that's real. And this love is only possible through a Christ-centered way of living because Christ is the source of this kind of love in the day-to-day -day realities of our life. The Apostle John says, this is how we know what love is. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus has come to offer us a love, a crazy kind of love, a love that isn't based on how we feel or how good we are, but based on God's unconditional love for us. And as we receive that love, he calls us to practice the same kind of love and grow in maturity in that kind of love in our relationships, in the in-between times of our lives. Because if you haven't heard before, God has come to propose to us. Jesus is God getting down on his knee, giving up his life to offer us a love relationship with God, of dying on the cross for our sins to show us without a shadow of a doubt that God loves us and wants to be with us, even though we turned and walked away from him, even though we are unworthy of that love. God on the cross is choosing you and I to say, yes, I want to be with you. And he wants us to say yes to him, to go through life with him and to be filled with a love that we don't have on our own, to learn how to love like he loves. And the scriptures promise us that he has prepared a dinner to celebrate, a feast, a wedding feast. That the number one metaphor in the scriptures of the way God loves his people is that of a marriage. That God has come to invite us into a marriage relationship with him. And that one day he'll return to establish the new heavens and the new earth and bring those who believe in him into the wedding feast of all wedding feasts where now God knows us fully, but one day we will be fully known and see God face to face and live forever in his love in the feast of victory of our Lord. 
But in the meantime, in this great in-between time, God asks for our hearts, and he promises those who say yes to him to turn from their way, to trust in him as their Savior and their Lord, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts with a love we don't have on our own. And when I was in seminary, I learned a lesson about this that was really helpful, but it wasn't in the classroom that I learned it. It was actually on the job. While I was in, one of the jobs I had in seminary was working as a painter to help pay the bills. And one of the first lessons I learned as a painter is every time you paint something, you need to wash out your brush. Because if you don't, you know what happens to it? Yeah, well, I just dropped it right there and it almost broke the, the podium. Because it gets as hard as a rock. If you don't wash out your paintbrush, you can't use it anymore. But if you do wash out your paintbrush, it becomes soft and you can use it again. It can be refilled to paint beauty and creativity around you and make things look wonderful. And what I've learned is the reality of our lives is our hearts are like these brushes. When difficulties and things happen in our life, our hearts can become hard, like stone, unable to receive the love of God. When we realize that we're easily angered or irritated or frustrated, that our hearts are not filled with love, our hearts can keep becoming harder. Or we can go to the source of love, the Holy Spirit, who can wash our hearts clean, where we can be refilled with the love of God so that he can paint his beautiful message of love to those around us, those closest in our lives, to those farthest away. And this morning, I believe God is asking us, how can... I refill your heart with my love. What are the relationships in your life that our hearts have become hardened to? Where there's brokenness and love is not present? Because those are the places where when we bring our hearts to the Holy Spirit, he can cleanse our hearts and forgive us our sins and give us a love that we don't have on our own. And so this morning, maybe you've never heard that God has come for you that God has come and wants to be in a relationship with you, that he wants to fill your heart with his very presence. So this morning, maybe this is your first time of saying yes to him. Or maybe you recognize areas in your life where you just don't have that love. We all have them. And this is a time of you bringing your heart before God to ask him to refill you, to paint his message of love to the world around you. And as we go into this season of dreaming God's dream as a church, Jesus wants us to know that any new ministries and dreams that we have as a church family is for the sake of love, for the sake of more people coming to know the love of Christ. And as our church family growing more deeply in that love together, God dreams of people in every generation, from children to babies to teens to young families to senior adults to be filled with the love of God until the day when Jesus calls us home to be with him face to face. And in that great in-between time, we're given this great mission of sharing his love with the world. And let's keep God's love as the most important thing in our life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you offer us the filling of your Holy Spirit to give us a love that we don't have for each other. And Lord, I pray for people who have not found your love in their life yet, that they would hear today that you have come for them. And Lord, maybe in their hearts right now, they just want to say yes to you, yes to receiving you as their Savior, yes to receiving the Holy Spirit into their life. Lord, I pray that they would just 
let you in and, and hear you knocking on the door of their hearts. And Lord, for all of us, those of us who have said yes to you, Lord, I pray that we would say yes to letting you soften our hearts, to letting you refill us with your love, that you could paint your message of beauty and wonder and salvation to the world around us. Lord, we ask for your dreams to fill our hearts for the sake of your love and your kingdom to advance in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.